Thank you. Bless you. So by way of introduction, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt, and I'm one of the leaders here at Jubilee Church. Now, the preaching series that we're working through is called Mountain Movers. And today, we are going to be looking at the Old Testament figure, Joshua. Uh, and originally, I called it the Battle of Jericho. But actually, you know, I think it's probably a better title to call it Joshua and Taking the Promised Land. Okay, and I, I think you'll hear as I go through why that's important. You know, it's always encouraging when the service is going, going on and you can hear things that are relevant to your preach. And it's really, and I, I, hopefully you'll hear them, but I'll try and pull them out as, as we go along so we know that God is speaking the same message to us. Before I do, I'm going to pray again. Heavenly Father, please help me to deliver a message that is from you, that is your will and desire for our lives to bring us closer to you. Give us hearts and minds that understand and receive for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the story of Joshua and the Battle of Jericho can be found in the book of Joshua, funnily enough. And I'll be giving an abridged account. And what that means is I'm going to not try and do all six chapters, but try and give you the essence of the story, missing bits out, but only so that for the purposes of time and so you don't fall asleep. Uh, so... Um, I'll encourage you to read the whole book of Joshua if you can, because uh, I've not been able to give it all of it to you, but hopefully enough to stir you and to uh, hear from the Lord. So let, by, let me start by giving you a bit of backstory that leads to Joshua becoming the leader of the Israelites. Now you remember that Moses, he leads the enslaved Israelites out of Egypt into the desert where they are wandering for 40 years. And Moses, he dies. And the Lord takes him. So God appoints Joshua to be the new leader of the Israelite nation. Now at this point in time, the Israelites are nomadic. They don't have a home. They're traveling through the desert and they set their camp up, this big camp, and they've got the ark in there. Um, and they are moving from place to place as God instructs them. But they're looking for a home. And so the baton is passed from Moses to Joshua. And with that authority, he can lead the Israelite people and take possession of the promised land. That's in Canaan. And it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Why milk and honey? Well, you see, these are symbolics of luxuries. You know, milk will provide you with the fats and all the, the goodness that you need and, of course, the sweetness of the, hurry, of the honey. And these people haven't had that. They've been out in the desert. They've been eating manna and other stuff. And the lamb flowing with milk and honey would be very much a thing that they would desire to have that God will provide for them. However, there are two big obstacles, two big mountains that stand between the Israelites and the promised land. The first of these mountains is the River Jordan. Now, the River Jordan stretches from the north to the south of Israel. And they've got to cross this. Now, we don't know exactly how, how wide it is. Some scholars say about one mile or whatever it is. But we know that it's fast-flowing and it's dangerous to cross this river. And they've got to get across it in order to be able to reach the Promised Land. 
This is what happens. I'm reading from Joshua chapter 1, verses 2, and then verse 6. six. God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am to give them to the Israelites. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. So we see that God is keeping his promise and he's reassuring Joshua and this is his real first test. He is to lead the Israelites across the River Jordan and he has been told to be strong and courageous. Now the second mountain they have to face is Jericho. And Jericho is a large fortified city. It's the home of the Canaanite people. And the Canaanite people are godless and they worship pagan gods. And they would prevent the Israelites from entering the promised land. And so they need to be subdued. They need to be defeated. So what will Joshua do? So a wise and sensible thing to do is to scout the land. And so Joshua sends out two spies. And these spies are to scout the land, but also pay a particular attention to the city of Jericho. So these spies, they smuggle their way into the city of Jericho and they're looked after by a woman. And this woman's name is Rahab. Now Rahab is a prostitute. So having two strange men enter her house was not that unusual. And I'm sorry to get X-rated, but it's in the Bible. <laughs> However, these two strangers that have entered that house have been spotted. And so in chapter 2, verses 3 to 6, this is what it says. Verse 3. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. Now, I'm not sure how they knew that information. They obviously may have had other spies that were looking around and looking out for these folk, but they had some really good intel because they knew exactly who they were there and what they were there to do. Verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I do not know where they have come from. And then jump into verse 5. She says, go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she has taken them to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she has laid out on the roof. So Rahab has deceived the spies. She has conspired. She has uh, denied the authorities the, the knowledge that these spies are actually on her roof to stop them being captured. So why has this woman from Jericho protected two foreign spies? I mean, this is a great risk to her own safety if they'd have found out. Surely they would have not looked very favourably on this woman for doing this. Well, we get the answers 
in verses 8 to 9. It says this. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this land are melting in fear because of you. Wow. And she continues in verse 11, For the Lord your God is God in heaven and above and all the earth below. You see, notice what Rahab says. I know the Lord has given you this land. It's past tense. He's given it to you. Not that he, not that he will, not that he might, not that he's thinking about it. See, Rahab has prophetic insight into what God has already done. And that's very important. See, basically, Rahab is saying, God has shown me that you're going to defeat Jericho, you're going to take the land. Just think about that for a second. This is a sinful woman. This is a woman of ill repute. She makes her living by sleeping with men. And yet God is using her as a really important messenger. And it's this message which the spies can relay back to Joshua. Now, Rahab is not done. She's a smart woman. She carries on. Chapter 2, verse 12 to 14. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save them from death. She's not silly, is she? She knows that this is, this is a dangerous period. They could easily double-cross her, so she's got to be careful. This is what they say in verse 14. Our lives for your lives, the men assure her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. And Rahab agrees to these terms. Actually, I think I'm just going to point out that what they actually do is uh, they make an agreement where they are going to they lower them out the window using a red cord. I'm assuming the red cord is already in the house, and they lower down the spies. They escape from Jericho, and they say, "Keep that red cord in the window because then we'll know that when we come to you, that your house is the one that has you and your family, so we can protect you." The spies escape safely, and they report back to Joshua. Verse 24 says this, And they said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands, and the people are melting in fear because of us. Let's just stop and reflect on that. This is a game changer. Joshua has just received the best news and his confidence will be high. The news about how God is with them and how that those in Jericho are afraid. But before the Israelites can get into Canaan, there's that business of the River Jordan that stands in their way. This is what happens in chapter 3, verse 14 to 15. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, 
The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood state or during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan, stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completely crossed, well, um, completed the crossing on dry ground. Now, other than the fact that this is an incredible miracle, this is an important event for Joshua because it shows the people that God is with him as he had been with Moses. In fact, it was the same miracle. If you think about it, instead of the Red Sea, this is now the River Jordan. So they'll look at this and they say, oh, well, he was with Moses. He's also with Joshua. But they can't enter the land yet as the city of Jericho stands in their way. The Canaanite people have claimed to this land and Jericho needs to be captured and it has high fortified walls and Joshua begins to plan how he can take the city. We know from archaeological digs that the base of the, the walls of Jericho are 12 feet. If you can imagine just how thick these walls are, these are not something you can scale easily. They are thick, high walls. But this is what happens, chapter 5, interesting, 13 to 15. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and he asked, are you for us or for our enemies? He doesn't know. He's possibly absolutely petrified. Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? <clears throat> the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy, and Joshua did so. So what's that about? Well, I think it's this. The messenger was sent to Joshua and says, you are not the one in charge. You need to listen to me. I'm the one who's going to lead you to victory. It can happen a bit like that when we have a taste of success and things are going well. Uh, you know, I reckon I've got this stuff nailed. I don't really need you, God. I reckon, you know, he says, all right, God, you can sit this one out. I'll do the Jericho stuff. You've done the river. You know, it's my turn to shine. Well, the angel of the Lord wants to tell him something different. The next thing, there's a warrior angel, commander of the army of the Lord, drawing his sword. And understandably, one would be petrified and fall in our face. It's a bit of a wake-up call, I'd say. And being reminded who's boss. Take your shoes off, Joshua. You're on holy ground. You know, this taking off the shoes is symbolic of humility and the reverence before God. He's saying, I hear you, God. You're the boss, and I'm your humble servant. Amen. Now, the knowledge of the Israelites being close reaches the king of Jericho. And because of the spies and their success, contact with Rahab, they know the king is utterly petrified. 
And he knows, the king knows they made it across the River Jordan. So he can probably see, you know, I've got, I've got info, information that the camp is near. So the king orders the gates to be closed and the fortified city to made secure as they wait. They must have had probably mixed emotions. They must be thinking, well, these, they're not going to get through these walls, but I tell you what, we're not going out there. We're not going out there, but we're staying here. It's safe in here. We'll be fine. Chapter 6, verse 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. So this is God reassuring Joshua. Don't be afraid. I've won the battle. Listen, obey my instructions. Verse 3 to 5. Instructions, here we go. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, then the walls will collapse and the army will go on up. Everyone straight in. So God gives Joshua this strange set of instructions that just seem a bit bizarre. How can blowing ram's horns cause this city with 12 feet thick walls to collapse? But this is where Joshua gets tested. It's his time to, to obey God, as the angel has warned him. And on, one, on uh, day one, Joshua arranges the seven priests with trumpets to march in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And this procession is protected by soldiers. They are at the front, and there are soldiers ready at, and waiting at the rear. And they're ordered to march around the city just one lap as the priests blow their horns and then return to the camp. And that's the end of day one. So they marched around the city, and it's repeated five more times. Then on the seventh day, the same thing happens, only this time they march around seven times. And when they do so, the soldiers who remain silent all week give a loud almighty roar, a battle cry, and the walls start to fall apart. The blocks tumble to the ground exposing large gaps in the walls so the soldiers can enter. Then in verse 22 to 25. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house, bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent to spy to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. We'll come back to that. That's so important. There is so much in this story of God moving mountains and bringing victory 
over seemingly impossible odds. Obstacles that seem impossible. And I've got five things that I want us to take away from this story. Five lessons we can learn from this story. Also today we're going to be taking communion. And I will leave up the slide so we can reflect on the lessons and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us as we share the Lord's Supper. You know, when we were singing earlier and how great thou art and... Uh, Celine prayed out and some of you others I really felt there was a really strong gospel message coming through that's going to point to Jesus and uh, sometimes when we get embroiled in these Old Testament stories we think what's that got to do with now but I think we'll see it we'll see it as we go through some of these lessons number one be strong and courageous you know Jubilee Church God is calling us to be strong and courageous today as we face the mountains in our lives. For some of us, it's fear of the unknown. What will the church look like in six months? For others, you're looking at the world and its direction of travel and you're thinking, five years? No, more like two years. How are Christians with countercultural beliefs going to be treated? What's going to be like for evangelical Christians as we continue to hold on to the beliefs that we know are not popular in the world. And of course, for some of you, you've got other mountains, health challenges, family challenges, etc. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Number two. Take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. We need to remember to let God be in control. He is the mighty God and we are his humble servants. For Joshua and for Moses, taking off their shoes was required to express their humility and reverence before God. We need to say, I hear you, God, you're the boss and I'm your humble servant. Because when we say no to God as he directs us and we are disobedient to God, we are saying, I know more than you, God. I'm better at deciding what's best. We need to let God lead. James chapter 4, verse 10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. This is important, you know. Whenever these characters end up on the face flat on the floor and they're prostrate and they're quivering, they don't stay there. They always get up because God pulls them up or whatever and, and then they're stronger for the experience. You know, humility doesn't mean weakness. Humility just means that we are saying, yes, Lord, you're going to do this better than I can. In scripture, we often read accounts where uh, people are face down. Joshua, Daniel, the shepherds. God never leaves them there. Number four. Rahab, sorry, we're not done three. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. My numbering's completely up the shoot. Number three. Rahab represents us. <laughs> Got double checked. Good job your guys are on the ball, isn't it? I mean, I've been <laughs> Rahab had the spiritual eyes to see that God had already won the Battle of Jericho. 
and that you needed to cry out for mercy and be spared destruction. He says in chapter 3, verses 12 to 13, Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my family and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. We recognize that God has won the battle and we cry out for his mercy to spare us from destruction. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you're from. When you recognize the truth of God, of Jesus, and let Jesus into your heart, you and I will be spared. Also, we read that Rahab is not only spared death, but along with her family. She becomes integrated with the Israelite people and makes it to the promised land. You know, that was just a prompt for me to say, church, stand in the gap for your families so they will make it to the promised land. Rahab, a Canaanite, leaves her life of prostitution, marries to the tribe of Judah, rejects the religion of her people, follows the God of Israel. She marries Salmon, and they have a child called Boaz, the same Boaz that marries Ruth. Therefore, ergo, Rahab is an ancestor of King David and of Jesus. Amen? Because of Rahab's faith, she has been saved twice, both physically from Jericho, but spiritually too. She enters heaven as a follower of the one true God. Amen. The psalmist said this in Psalm 51, verses 14 to 15. Spare my life, O God, and save me, and I will gladly proclaim your righteousness. Help me to speak, Lord, and I will praise you. King David asking to be spared. Number four. Joshua is a foreshadow of Jesus. Now, foreshadowing just simply means it's a theological term that means things in the Bible that will, will point to something else. They'll point to Jesus. They'll point to something, and we can piece it together, and we, it helps us to really understand the scriptures are God-inspired and not just made up. The name Joshua is a Hebrew name. In fact, Celine mentioned some of this a bit earlier, so this is what I like. The name Joshua is a Hebrew name. It means the Lord saves. The Lord used Joshua to lead the people out of captivity into the final resting place of the promised land. On that journey, God moved aside mountains, the river, the city, and they're able to pass into the promised land by God. The name Jesus is taken for the Greek, and it means the same as Joshua. Joshua is Hebrew, and it means the Lord saves. Joshua's name and Jesus' name are the same. And Jesus leads us out of captivity, out of the bondage of sin, into a resting place where we can know the peace and joy that salvation brings as part of his kingdom. It's the same story. It's a foreshadow. It's showing the same thing. Sorry. Okay, got excited. Psalm 37, 39 to 40. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. 
when we go into a time of communion, just take the opportunity to ask the Lord to help you what you need to be delivered from, what mountains you've got, and be courageous and bold. Be bold like Rahab and ask for mercy for you and your family. Humble yourself before the Lord and let him lead. I've got one final verse to finish with. And it's in Matthew 17, verses 20 to 21. For I truly tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed and say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that we can be inspired by Rahab, her boldness, her fearlessness, and her prophetic insight. Lord, we can all claim our inheritance and should never allow our sin and shame from stopping us from coming before you with our shoes off humble. You're in the business of transforming lives. You transform Rahab's life. Lord, nothing is impossible for you. You can break down the thick city walls that to our eyes look impossible to break down. Give us faith, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Robin, can I just ask you to please prepare the communion?